So here is the Mosaic Covenant and the spiritual life. Uh, so this will be looking at the difference between the law of Moses and the law of Christ, um, but especially what we as the church, uh, what is our relationship to the law of Moses and what is our relationship to Christ, uh, especially since the, the law of Moses being given to us in the written form of scripture uh, as part of the word of God. This is not something that we as the church can ignore. It is something that we absolutely must study. Uh, we must understand. We, we as the church do not take only the epistles. Though the epistles are the only portion of scripture written directly to us as the church, with us in the addressee label, uh, we're not interested in understanding only God's word uh, directly to us. We're understanding God. We are interested in understanding God to his fullest revelation. Every word that has been given to us from God bears incredible importance in understanding who he is and who we are as people. Uh, so although the Mosaic law has nothing to do with the church, it has everything to do with God. And thus we want to understand it. Uh, it, and it reveals amazing truths about who he is. So here in Psalm 24, uh, we read about fellowship with God through uh, the law. And remember, Psalms were written uh, by and large by David and Asaph and some by Solomon. This one, I believe, was a Psalm of David. He writes, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn, sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. And in Psalm 95, uh, we see a negative aspect of this. Uh, Again, talking about the, the generation of the, or the Exodus generation, which failed to follow the Lord at Kiriath-Jerim. We read, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. As in the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. <clears throat> so we as the church... Uh, though we have not been given the Mosaic law as a rule of life, we have been given the law of Christ as a rule of life. And therefore, we do have a responsibility to adhere to that law of Christ. That law of Christ is to love God and to love one another. Uh, that is given to us in different aspects. As we are not a nation, uh, we, we don't uh, handle ourselves in the same way that the Mosaic law gives us then. In the 613 laws, uh, I recently heard uh, one person say that um, every law which does not require physical presence in the land um, is still necessary for the church to adhere to. 
Uh, again, there is nothing in scripture that gives us that permission to remove those 300 some laws. Uh, everywhere in scripture says to hold to one portion of the law is to hold to all portions of the law. And to hold to the law is to fall from grace because we are under grace. The reading here in Galatians 3. Um, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and, and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. Or if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Many who try to make the church replace Israel, focus on the covenant disobedience of Israel and say that they have lost their inheritance because they were disobedient to the covenant. Paul could not be more clear that that is not true. Paul could not have said in any clearer words that the inheritance that God gives to Israel is based on the Abrahamic covenant that is given to them and realized to them through Christ and that realization is yet future in the millennial kingdom when Christ will rule over Jerusalem and Jerusalem under Christ's rule will be the center of the world government but why did we receive the law why the law that it was added because of transgressions having been ordained to the angels by the agency of a mediator that is Moses until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture had shut up everyone under sin so that the promise of uh, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So where this uh, the law leads to death, Christ leads to life. The law was then given to us as a tutor, but therefore faith came. Uh, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So we might summarize from Paul's argument here that the law is important to teach us what life is like, not under Christ, but instead under law. That through faith in Jesus Christ, we do not need law because we understand the law through Christ and through the spiritual realities that that brings to us. But we also understand through scripture, the history of those under law, that law does not lead one to life. Law cannot lead one to life. 
but law leads instead to death by the realization of sin. In Romans 7, we're given uh, more truth about the law using marriage as an analogy. And remember, he's speaking to those who are coming out of being under the law, so they recognize uh, analogies as from the law. So, or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So this is Paul using a portion of the law, which is understandable in plain human language, to bring about the understanding of a spiritual truth about the law, that the law is like a mistress to whom the Jews were married, and in order to be married to Christ, they had to die to the law. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now... We have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. So we're going to see Paul argue in a moment that the law was not bad, that the law was good, but that the law, the effect that it has on man is to inflame his passions, to make sin burn within him, that it becomes so obvious to him. The law does not give us any power to be obedient to God, but rather shows us our depravity. It shows us God's holiness next to ours and shows us that we have none within us and that we need the Lord. Once we have the Lord, the law is no longer necessary as a tutor to show us our need for the Lord. Uh, so that the law is a good thing, but it is not a good thing to have over us when we instead have Christ over us. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. So here I had a challenge given to me once, a, a, a sarcastic challenge given to me once by uh, by a teacher, he said, if you ever want to sin, if you ever want to see sin flare up to uncontrollable levels in your congregation, preach to them that they are under the law. Tell them that they are responsible to uphold the law, uh, and you will see sin fly through that congregation like nothing else. Uh, and that's what happened to Israel. They were given the law as a tutor, and at almost no point in Israel's history was there ever anything good that came out of their being under the law, except that they should have come to an understanding that they cannot do it on their own. And many did. When Christ, uh, when Christ was presented as, as the end of the law, 
the Christian church in the first century exploded, but not all of national Israel came to see Christ as their king, um, that yet awaits the future. Uh, so here we basically get a picture of sin under the microscope, and that's what's happening. It's like holding up a microscope, God's glory on one end and sin on the other, and it's going to burn you to death. Uh, so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? It never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So we see the conflict of the two natures, the old man and the new man, the spiritual man and the carnal man within Paul. And he says, the one side longs for heaven, the other side longs for the grave. He says, one wants sin and the other wants righteousness, but because there even exists within him a side that detests the city is doing he's certain that the lord is at work in his spirit he says uh that he agrees with the law he agrees with the righteousness he agrees with the goal pointing towards jesus christ uh he confesses the law is good but he can't confess that he himself is good uh though uh, this is essentially the the conflict that one is bound to when he tries to deal with spiritual reality in the flesh. So when you're trying to abandon sinfulness by adhering to a law, abandon sinfulness by, uh, by putting laws and restrictions and, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this to avoid being sinful, you're basically setting yourself up to fail. And that's what Israel did. When they set themselves up to do the law completely and fully, on their own power to show God that they were great, uh, what ended up happening was the sin flared up to extreme uh, measures so that we see one account of a woman eating her child and then complaining that the neighbor didn't share her child with them. I mean, that's that's level of sinfulness that grew up out of this law, uh, not because the law caused it, but because through the righteousness of the law held up on one end and man's inability to be righteous like God without the power of God, we see that in the flesh, the flesh becomes exacerbated in its sinfulness. So that we, as the church, when we try to hold ourselves up to some sort of legalism, some sort of uh, laws or structure of law that the church has to adhere to, rather than a complete faith rest dependence on Jesus Christ, we are bound to be just like Israel in our spiritual life, that we will fail on every account to live the spiritual life and will instead be living carnally. And now carnally is another word that has to be defined a little better than I think our English dictionary defines it for us, because carnally doesn't mean living sinful. It means living in the flesh. Carnal, carne, the Latin word for flesh, 
means not living on the spiritual power of Christ, but living by means of the flesh rather than living by means of the spirit. Now, the beginning of sin is carnality, that whether it's license or whether it's legalism, if we are living in carnality, the end of that uh, choosing to live by the flesh is going to be sinfulness because in the flesh we can produce no righteousness. Uh, so here we have those natures in conflict and Paul continues and he says, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, but I, uh, for the good that I want to do, for the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. That is sin that dwells in the old man, the flesh that is still part of our existence here on this earth, this side of the resurrection. Uh, and Paul, one of the most holy men that we know, admits that no matter how hard he tries in the flesh, his flesh is incapable of being righteous. So what is the climax then of that? We see, I find then that the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and make me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members wretched man that I am who will set me free from the body of this death. Now, this body of death is really saying, who will set me free from the dead man, the man that is hanging on to his spiritual man, is this dead body of sin. He says, wretched man that I am, no matter how hard he tries to keep the law of Christ in his own power, he is incapable of doing so. But he continues here and says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So we see that it is the spirit of life in Christ and not the flesh that can set us free from this body of death. So uh, this gets us into grace age truths. Here is the grace age faith position in Romans 8. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That means who do not work, uh, walk by means of the flesh, uh, when we are choosing instead to rest in Christ and have the spirit work through us, rather than doing, trying to do the work of God through the flesh. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. So when we are trying not to sin, we are often, in fact, we are always, when we are doing it through the flesh, trying not to do the things in the flesh that are sinful. Uh, but instead, if we focus on the spiritual realities of God's holiness, of the promises that he has rendered through us, and the spiritual truth 
of the spirit living within us, uh, then that is the power to do good and to avoid evil. So here is our grace age faith living then in Galatians 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject, subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again of every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. And this is saying that grace is available and it is offered here to you. But if you choose instead of grace to live by the law, then the spirit of Christ will not be the power behind your actions and thus success cannot come through that uh, walking in the flesh. For we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. And our grace age faith rest. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed, or for we who have believed, enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Remember that goes back to Psalm 95. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the earth. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had uh, good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after so long a time, just has been said before, today if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fail through following the same example of disobedience. So that rest that is given to us here as an analogy by the writer of Hebrews of all of those failures and successes under law points to it and says that if that were the finality of it all, that there would have been nothing after it, but that a rest still remains for us and that the law is analogous to it but it's not synonymous with it. That means it's not the exact same thing. The law is not going to bring life. But what the law pointed to, we access through faith, not through keeping the law. In faith, the Lord um, is the power to do good uh, by means of the Spirit. So finally, in conclusion here, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And here, or there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, 
Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. All right. So there's our, our long study for tonight that started late. So uh, uh, by bedtime for most of us. All right. I think Kelly's audio might still be off. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. All right. I figured it out after you started going. Cool. Oh, okay. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much. Absolutely. That was awesome. Sorry we're late. It was uh, my fault tonight. No problem. no problem at all. I should have sent out a reminder today. Actually, uh, everyone started showing up about yeah. five minutes before you did. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> honestly, it was perfect timing. We just didn't know the Everybody time. Everybody was like, yeah, we just didn't know the time. Yeah. We didn't get the number. Yeah. yeah. It's all good. Oh, cool. All right. Uh, we'll all close in prayer. And then next week is Revelation 12. Uh, a very, very fun chapter. So, all right. I'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. Uh, that you've given us all of your word. That you have not kept any of it from us. We yes. thank you that you've given us the revelation about the law so that we can read it and understand it uh, as it was meant to teach the Jews about <laughs> and faith. So Lord, we thank you that you have not put us under the law of Moses, but have instead put us under the law of Christ as Christ was the end, the goal of the law. So Lord, we pray that you give us the power and the strength to avoid evil and to do good on this earth, not by the flesh, but by means of the spirit. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you and all these things we offer you glory in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Have a great night. Thank you. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. See you soon. <laughs>